Christy talked about, what is the most taxing and tiring part of being Christian? So what's been like hard for you in being Christian? What makes, you, what makes being Christian tiring? And then secondly, how would you Yelp rate yourself as a Christian and why? All right? So uh, go ahead and break off into groups of two and three. Make sure everyone around you is included. So make sure you look around. And I'll be back. We, we're running out of time. I'll be back in three minutes. So share quickly. All right. Thanks, everyone, for sharing. This was an engaging question. I, I wish we had more time. So how many of you guys gave yourself one star on Yelp? All right. About, let's see, maybe 15% of you. Two stars. Okay. 10%, three stars. Okay. Four stars. Five stars. Oh, Neba. Good job. Mitch, nice. Anyone else? Six stars. Can I get six stars? <laughs> uh, when I think about the most taxing and tiring part of being Christian for me personally, I shared a little bit about this, but I find after I preach, I'm super taxed, right? So and, and uh, I've talked to every mentor I have on him multiple times. I talked to other pastors. If I had a therapist, I would talk to her or him. Talk to Nina every Sunday, poor girl. But usually after I uh, preach, I kind of do this free fall. And I'm not sure how, when it will end, you know, like if it's just four feet off. And I'm like, oh, I'm fine. Or 10 feet, my one leg's broken, but I'm still alive. Or sometimes I feel like I'm falling for a day and a half. And I'm like, just kind of getting used to the darkness. Um, so sometimes I'm tired. I'm just tired. But most of the time, I replayed the most embarrassing moments of preaching in my own head. Most of the, you know, misspelling, misspeaking, like a moment of vulnerability, and I kind of regret it. Other times, if it's a little worse than that, I'm hiding in children's ministry. Do you come and get, you know, kind of come find me and be like, oh, he's hiding this week. Take a photo. Um, um, worse than that, I'll take like a two-hour nap sometimes after service, and I'll just kind of still feel like my soul is tired, that it's beyond physical or emotional. I don't know if you've ever struggled with uh, depression, but your soul kind of feels tired and you don't know how to remedy it. And then if it gets really bad, which happens once in a while, I'll ask, man, am I depressed? It's been a few days. I haven't bounced back. And then when it's really, really bad, I'm like, maybe I need to give up preaching and sell children's books. By the way, Kickstarter's launching in t- on Tuesday. <laughs> Shameless plug. Um, but that is, for me, the, mo- the hardest, one of the hardest uh, parts of being Christian and uh, particularly pastoring. And then when I think of myself on a Yelp review scale, I would say most of my life I feel like I'm flipping between one, ones and fives. You know, I, I feel like I should default a five because I'm a pastor and stuff. You know, I got to preach and all that. And, and sometimes pastoring feels great. Ministry is going well. I had an amazing conversation with someone. I worshiped and got chills. I preached and people cried. You know, all those glorious pastor moments. And then other times, like, I break sobriety or my home life and my church life feels really different. And I got mad at, at Nina and, and treated her poorly. Um, other times, I wake up and I just want to you know, not engage with the Lord. And I feel this dissonance between how people perceive my intimacy with God and really where it's at. And so almost this bipolar one in five star switching back and forth over and over again. 
And I think when we look at Christianity that way, it really just becomes another religious system, right? It becomes like Buddhism or Islam or Hinduism, where you're here and you're trying to work your way into being a good Christian, Buddhist, Muslim. You're trying to work your way into uh, being loved by God, forgiveness, favor, trying to cross that threshold where we go from getting into heaven because we're good enough uh, and instead of having too many bad things we've done and not getting into heaven. Christianity then just kind of looks like all these other religions. But I also feel like even though we know we're not supposed to earn our salvation or earn our favor with God, don't we often find ourselves doing exactly that? I know I do. I know that there's times where spirituality, spiritu- uh, Christianity can become like this ladder board, you know, like a gaming ladder board where I'm often, or maybe you're often, rating your spirituality. Like, how good is it this week? How well am I doing? Uh, what's, my, what's my rating? And then we keep score and we try to earn points. You know, one thing I love and hate about the Bible app is how you could do like the year-long devotionals and it'll give you stars and like you see a completed bar. And I want that. I want the completed bar to tell me that I'm doing great in my Christian faith, you know? And then you can see how your friends are doing sometimes. And you're like, oh, I just passed Daniel. I totally love God more than Daniel. Um, I think when we see Christianity as this metric system, we can easily compare ourselves to others. We can easily look around the room and say, man, I'm doing more than he is. I'm serving more than she is. I'm, li- I'm living out my disciplines better than that person. Um, or we can compare ourselves with ourselves and, and always ask, why aren't I as spiritual as I was a few months ago? Or man, I'm really growing in my faith. And it can lead to two things, right? That sense of comparison, being better than everyone else, looking down on others and judging them, um, feeling kind of self-inflated, or it can lead to us being extremely discouraged, not knowing if we should show up to church this Sunday because we've done so many bad things, feeling really ashamed of our sin and saying, man, I don't think God's really going to want to be close to me. I feel too dirty. Um, I can show up and fake it. Maybe I'll do that this week instead of sharing what's really going on in my heart. Right? We can either become inflated with pride or we can start hiding in shame. We can start judging others or we can start isolating. That's really how it looks when Christianity is just another religious system, when it's another way of earning um, love and forgiveness and righteousness. You know, Jesus addresses this. If we step back from this passage, I think Jesus talks about this concept as a whole. In Matthew 27, verse 24 to 27, it says, When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook 
and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Give that, uh, take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So here, once a year, the temple tax collectors come in, and they ask uh, every um, adult male for a drachma. And a drachma is one day's worth of wages. So you have to pay two days' worth of wages once a year. A shekel happens to be four days' worth of wages. And so that's why a shekel can be uh, payment for both Jesus and Peter. And right now, we're kind of caught in this really interesting time where Jesus isn't on the cross. He hasn't died for everyone's sin. He hasn't fully fulfilled this whole sacrificial system and temple and priests, kind of all of their roles of atonement. So Jesus, in some ways, is living out what a good Jew lives out. And yet he's pushing against the Pharisees' view of Judaism. Uh, Pastor David covered this masterfully last Sunday. I'm going to give it to you in a few short lines, the summary of his sermon. The law was meant to show us our sin and turn us, from the, turn us to the grace and mercy of God and ultimately point to Jesus. That's the purpose of the whole Old Testament law. It's a mirror, and it shows us that we are not good enough. We can't earn our salvation. We're not holy enough to stand before God, but it's okay. God set up this whole system for which we can find forgiveness and all of that system is pointing to Jesus. And he had the two lamb uh, uh, plush dolls that he stole from his daughter last week, if you remember that. <laughs> the law can't change our hearts, but a father can. But now this is how the Pharisees took the law. They didn't see it as a mirror. They saw it as earning badges. They saw it as a merit system, one in which they would fulfill perfectly in their own eyes. But the Pharisees saw the law as a way of earning their way to God and holiness. They used the law as a way of lording over others and promoting themselves. And so we see them take one law, like keeping the Sabbath holy, and they would spawn hundreds and hundreds of other laws off of it in order to lord themselves over other people. And that's where you see in Matthew chapter 12, him sparring against the Pharisees, saying that you're not fulfilling the intention of the law, right? Um, when, when the Pharisees are pointing at his disciples eating grain, Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is to serve man, to give them rest. When Jesus is about to heal a man with a shriveled hand, the Pharisees are like, you're not supposed to work. And, and then uh, Jesus is like bewildered, right? On, this, on the Sabbath, I'm going to do good. And so Jesus is returning his people to the meaning, the real meaning of the law, which is to point them to God's grace and mercy and to himself. Whereas the Pharisees are kind of in this religious system of earning their love, love from God, forgiveness, earning their righteousness, and they have the ultimate ladder board of comparing themselves to others, promoting themselves. And we, again, have our own ways of doing these things. But the law was meant, again, to show us our sin, turn us to, to the grace of mercy of God, and ultimately point to Jesus. But now, as Jesus is fulfilling the law, especially on the cross, we don't need the law, in, especially as we think about the sacrificial system, because all of that's pointing to Jesus, and Jesus has come. 
right? When you get to a destination, you don't need the signage anymore. Does that make sense? If I brought up all these signs from the parking lot with the arrows, right, trying to get you who are new upstairs, like you're like driving in, like, am I, am I going to get mugged here? This is a really sketchy parking lot. But then you see renew signs, and you're like, oh, we're, we're okay. It's a church. I'm, I'm in the right place. But when you get here, if we had all kinds of signs pointing to different directions in the space, it would feel stupid because you got here. You arrived. And in the same way, Jesus has arrived. Jesus is here. He is the temple, right? He is the, he is, um, the lamb. He is the living water. He, he fulfills the law. And so Jesus is saying, we don't need signage. when You don't need things to point you to Jesus when he's here. And then secondly, we see that Jesus paid it all. As, again, Pastor Dave's sermon. And even in this passage, you see in this kind of intermediate state, Jesus paying still for Peter's tax. And as, a, as this foreshadow of him paying Peter's sin on the cross, the ultimate payment, the way he pays for all of our sins. And as he does this, he frees us from the system of earning. And, and he shows us again that we are all free because we are sons and daughters of God. And so instead of this other, another religious system, we get to be sons and daughters of God because Jesus dies on the cross for us and we inherit at our birth into his kingdom. When you pray, God, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. I want to follow you. Adopt me into your kingdom. We, we, our starting point is God's love, unconditional love over our life. Our starting point is his forgiveness over us and righteousness and eternal life. That's where we start. And we continue our journey from that space. When we are free from earning, that's when we are free to love. You see, if you're still kind of religious system, I love, again, Pastor Dave revealing Martin is actually, dun, 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 Martin Luther. You remember his last name? <laughs> it was like this really surprise twist, but you had to be a nerd. Um, right? Martin Luther went from this like earning atonement into this freedom of finding that God's already forgiven him. And when we're not, when we are not free, when we are free from earning, when we're not doing things because we're trying to gain forgiveness and gain love and gain favor, we are finally free to love him. When earning and love are incompatible. So, so that's why when we leave that religious system and we're saying, God, you just forgive me. I don't have to earn it. Then what we do is an act of love. When you say, God, you've given me your righteousness. Jesus, when you died on the cross, you not only forgave me of my sin, but you imparted your righteousness to me so that when the Father sees my life, he sees your life, and he's proud of it, and he gives me favor. And we're not earning favor and righteousness anymore, and then we can do the same things. We can complete that Bible program. We can worship. We can serve others. But now it's selfless. And now it's an act of love instead of earning. And that makes a huge amount of difference. When we are earning, God is a taskmaster. When we are earning our salvation and love and favor, God is an employer. He's an instructor. But when we are free, when we are sons and daughters who are free, 
And when we love, then finally, God is a dad. Is he mostly a dad? Is he primarily a dad in our lives? Are we primarily his, just his son and his daughter? Or when we look at God, we, do we see a taskmaster in which we have to check boxes for? Do we see a judge weighing our Christian stuff and our non-Christian stuff and seeing if we're good enough? Or do we see a, just a loving father who's proud of us, who has the world to say about us? This is me and Liam. We were matching a few weeks ago, and I, I just can't describe how much I love my son, but I try to every Sunday to you guys. Um, it would, you know, he, he doesn't speak that well yet, and he's trying to learn three languages. So he's explaining, like, this really elongated story to my mom. She has it on video. He says fire six times. He says engine once. I think he's trying to be a fireman. But I imagine him being more articulate, right? And him, and, and, and what if his relationship with me looked like this? What if in the morning he woke up and he said, Dad, how do I earn your love today? Dad, what do I need to do to be able to have dinner tonight? Dad, how, what, do I, what do I need to say and to be in order for, to have your attention and to, to have a room to sleep in and to get a hug? What do I need to do for those things? Of course, I'll look at him and say, son, when you were born into our family, you got a bed. You get every meal. And more than that, you get like... He says, I hold you, you know? And I'm like, that works every time. When he opens his hands and looks like this and says, I hold you, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, immediately I pick him up. And sometimes I just lay on top of him, like, oh, hold me, you know? And I just lay on top of him. Like, it, it does not make sense to me as a father for him to think that he would have to earn a place in our bed, at our table, in my heart. It just does not make sense. And it would just be the worst relationship if, I, if he thought those things. But how often do we go to God, who's our father, and say, God, what do I need to do to earn your love? Dad, what do I need to do to earn you to forgive me from this sin? God, what do I need to do to get to heaven? And he's saying, son, daughter, you were born with my unconditional love. You were born with my eyes fixed on you, my ears leaning in, and my arms over you. You were born with a place in heaven. When you got into my family, you get every heavenly blessing, every single one is given to us. Right when we became a Christian, we don't, get, we don't need to earn any of those things. We just get to embody them and live them out and love freely. Right, Liam... He can come to me with dirty hands, having peed on himself, wiping out in the dirt from his scooter, crying, upset, angry, grumpy. He can come to me, and I will pick him up. I will go to him. I'll, and none of those things change how I view him. Why do we think that God will look us at us differently? Because of that one thing, or because we're grumpy, or because we're dirty. He's our dad. What does it look like for us to live free as children of God? With him, he's, when he's our dad first instead of a taskmaster or a judge or someone we need to, like, 
earn something from? What would our spiritual life look like if we could worship and say, hey, it doesn't matter what other people see. I just want to worship because I want to see God. I want to open my Bible because I want to hear about his love. I want to be in community just because I want to experience him. There's no other agenda. There's nothing to prove. I don't have to impress him. He's my dad. I just get to show up. What would it look like for us to look around the room and just see children of God? Where we're not measuring our spirituality against someone else's, but they're just his kid. And wherever they are, they are super cute. You know, if they're like a one-day-old Christian, they're super cute. If they're a mature, older Christian, God loves them the same, and his love hadn't changed. You know, I started really trying to understand this cliff from which I fall after preaching. And again, I talked to a bunch of people, and then finally I was in Sydney trying to figure it out on vacation. And he said this. He said, Olson, like, before you preach, if, that's, if that bar is like your default spiritual life, like kind of where you really are, you do this really unnatural, maybe good-intentioned, but unofficial, uh, uh, artificial ascent before you preach. Like, before I preach, I'm like, I feel like I have to wake up at 4 a.m. to pray. You know, I have to be sober for multiple days, and I have to, like, like hype my spirituality, kind of do some spiritual jumping jacks, you know, like, pray really hard, worship really hard, show up, try to do this really amazing sermon, and then, and, and if I'm going to ascend like that, but my default's here, there, if there's an ascent, there's a descent, right? If there's a, this ascent to perform and to be more spiritual than I am and to, to knock things out of the park, then of course, on the back end, to get to normality, there's a descent as well. God said, just show up. Just show up, not as this great pastor or preacher or someone who's super spiritual, just show up as my child and do what I've called you to do, is teach my word. And let your spirituality just kind of be this marathon. And Sunday be another step of the week. It shouldn't feel different spiritually than a Monday or Tuesday. Just show up and do your thing. And do it as my kid. Do it not having to prove anything. I wonder in your life, if there's aspects where you're earning and performing still. And by the way, there's going to be Sundays where I still climb a mountain and fall off a cliff. I just want you to know that. I'm trying to do this too. But I think we all have mountains and cliffs, right? We all have times where we feel like we're a bipolar Christian. And God's like, be a kid. Just be a kid. So what are the aspects in your spiritual life where you feel like you're still earning or performing instead of living out your sonship and your daughtership? And I wonder if we can just kind of go back into those groups and just pray, just kind of share a little bit and pray for each other. And just in our prayer, just start it off with, you're his daughter and he loves you. He has a place for you. His eyes are on you and he's smiling. You don't have to earn it that, in that way anymore. And I would love for us after that, if we're believers, to get up and go to a communion table together and know that we get that freedom because Jesus paid the price. We get that freedom 
because he was nailed and lashed and took on our sin. It says that a man who knew no sin became sin so that we could be children of God, right? So that we could be free, so that we could love instead of earn. As we take his blood and body, would we not add to that? Will we not, will we not feel like that's not enough? And will we just kind of receive it and say, God, you have done enough for me to be loved, to be a son, to be a daughter, to be forgiven. God needs nothing else from, from me because you've paid it. Father, we just commit this time to you. I always think it's the most powerful when we stop and we share and we pray for each other. I pray that you would show up today, God, in the prayers of our brothers and sisters. You would show up today, Father, as we partake communion and say that your blood and your body and your life was enough for us to be a son and a daughter. And there's nothing to prove and there's nothing, no one to impress. We get to be free. Will we partake in your freedom today that you've gifted to us? We thank you that salvation is not earned. It's a free gift. In Jesus' name. I would love to just give you guys five minutes to share a little bit and pray, and then we'll move into worship.